The sermon text this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is a really cool picture right here. We're going to take a picture at the end of the service of this. And uh, yeah, this is amazing to be together. I think we should put an offer in on the place and go without a building and just go with straight. This is beautiful. I'm glad to have you here. The, the elders thought this would be helpful in the next fundraising campaign to kind of get everybody together, see how sweet it is, and then we will find that building one day. Well, it is a pleasure to be here. I have a strange question. It's not really a strange question. It'll feel strange to you, I think, when I ask it. Uh, but given the nature of this day, I don't think it will be strange to you. What do you do when you think of, of your own death? When you think your own time has come to an end, what do you think about? You, you know, just last week we lost a dear sister and a friend, Jeannie Luther, to ALS. She died last week, but... So did a lot of people die last week. On average in the U.S., over 64,000 people die every week. That was last week and this week and next week. Every week, people die. It's like unstoppable. I mean, it's like all around us. It doesn't discriminate on color or age or creed or religion or social status. It makes no discrimination. It just affects all. So what do you do when you think about it? Do you shrug your shoulders and feel like just kind of despairing over it? Or, or are you kind of one of those that joke about it and try to bring humor into it, to push it away from you a little bit? Or do you just act ambivalent? You know, we don't know if anything's on the other side. We don't have any proof to ask, the, you know, you can ask the question, but to draw any kind of comfort from it, I don't know where that evidence would come from, but he just kind of act ambivalent to it. You know, the Christian faith has a clear answer to the problem of death. Death is a problem for all of us. It is the great enemy, and yet Christianity has an answer. And you heard it as Kimmy read it. You know, when you talk about 1 Corinthians 15, it's really a beautiful chapter. The whole chapter is on the resurrection. And in this chapter, Paul is first explaining 
that Jesus Christ came to die. He came to die that he would be raised again to give life. And then Paul begins to list all these people who saw Jesus after he had died. And then he goes through the rest of the chapter and he begins teasing out the implications of it. And he begins saying, you know, if he has been raised, which we've just evidenced he has, then your sins are forgiven. You bear no guilt before God. You've been reconciled. Preaching is valuable. It changes people. Your faith is real. You will rise again. You don't have to fear death anymore. But it leads us to the question of, well, how's it all going to be? When's it all going to be? How's it happen? That's what our passage deals with today. How does it happen? He's trying to answer that question. He's going to tell us about a day that is so glorious, so wonderful, that it should change today. It may be a day far away, but it should change the way you look at today. It should change the way you look at any success on a temporal level. It should change any suffering you go through that is also temporal. It's a glorious day. It's a necessary day. He's going to tell us in verse 50. It's a necessary day. It's also a mystery. It's a day of mystery that we're going to see. But ultimately, we can celebrate because it's a day of victory. So those are kind of the three things I want you to, to kind of organize in your mind. First, it's a day of necessity. Look with me at verse 50. He says, so I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot enter, or excuse me, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So Paul comes right out and he says, hey, things have got to change here. Uh, the perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, so the flesh and blood, that's our bodies, right? Our natural bodies were attended with sin, were unredeemed, were unchanged, were fading. They cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless they're changed. Now, you know that we are fading. You know we're perishing. If you don't, just look at your parents. Look at someone older than you. I think about this. The anti-aging industry is projected to make over $421 billion by 2030. We know we're aging. Everybody sees it, and yet we just want to ignore it. No, we have to be changed. See, the kingdom of God is of another order. It's glorious. It's eternal. There's no sin. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no death. We cannot inherit that kingdom the way we are. We have to be changed. I think you know this. I mean, it would make sense to you. And isn't God kind that even though we have fallen so far from what he intended, isn't it kind that he doesn't say, you know what, this was a mess. This first try, it was a mess. Let's get rid of the whole thing and let's start over again. He doesn't do that. God's kind and gracious and he sets about redeeming that which was lost. That's the purpose of the gospel, to reclaim, to redeem, to restore. That's what he's come to do for us. You know, we ought to be a people who are eager for that day, shouldn't we? This day of change you know, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption, eagerly as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's kind of the attitude we're to have, this, this excitement, this eager. We love everything but the wind right now. 
but what's it going to be like? So if it has to be this way, if we have to change, what's it going to be? How's it going to look? Well, look with me back at 51 to 53. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. So Paul's going to tell us a mystery. Now remember, in Scripture, a mystery, it's not analogous to an Agatha Christie novel. You know, where you kind of get the clues and you kind of figure out how it all works and then you solve the riddle. It's not like that. A mystery in Scripture is something that's unknown or it's unknowable to humans. It's undiscoverable. God has to reveal it to us. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's going to reveal this mystery to us. And the mystery is that we have to be changed. And he explains it this way. The imperishable, or excuse me, the perishable, that is our bodies right here, they have to put on imperishable. So our decaying, aging, aching bodies have to give way to a new body that does not wear out, it does not decay, it's permanent, it's fixed, it's strong. The mortal, we all walk to that final day of our mortal life, has to give way to immortality. This body will be changed, but it will never die. It's incapable of dying. Isn't that incredible? This is the kind of change that he will bring to his body. To, the, to our bodies. Now, notice what he says, though. How is it going to happen? He said in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, that word for moment, that Greek word, it means this indivisible point of time. In other words, it's not going to be incremental. It's not going to be through thousands of years of progressive change. It's instant. So we think of an hour, it's got 60 minutes. We think of a minute, it's got 60 seconds. There's all these increments of these periods of time, but not so here. This word moment is unique. It means it happens like that. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. Now, you say, when? When are we going to be changed? Well, he says it's the last trumpet. There's a lot of trumpets in Scripture, but this is the last trumpet. So theologians debate this all the time. What is the last trumpet? Well, just for me, I'm going with it's the last trumpet. It's not the second to last. It's not the third to last. It's just, I don't know. It's the last trumpet. Jesus Christ will descend, and he will change us. You see the same thing written to the church. The Thessalonian church, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he says, Therefore encourage one another with these words. That's what I'm doing right now. This idea of him coming and changing us. Just changing us. Think about it for just a minute. Your bodies will be changed. We suffer age, aches, sickness, dying. Don't buy into the world's understanding. They want us to be angels with wings. Everybody gets their own musical instrument of choice, and you get to just play something forever, doing nothing. That's not what he's saying. No, we're flesh and blood. We are changed as flesh and blood. But there's no more cancer. There's no more ALS. There's no more leukemia. There's no more aging. 
There's no more aching. There's no more chronic. Many of you struggle so deeply with chronic issues that are unrelenting. All that's changed. How do we understand it? Well, an analogy would simply be the resurrection of Christ. He was brought forth out of the grave. There's continuity. It's his body. You see the scars. So it is Christ, but he's different. He eats fish, but he walks through locked doors when he goes to see his apostles. There's continuity with the old body, but there's discontinuity. There's something different, powerful, great. You think about him on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was there in all his glory. That's what we'll be like. And Paul tells us this when he writes to the Philippian church. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Did you hear that? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's what we have. That is a day that's coming. But you're asking right now, you're thinking, yeah, but what happens to us now? I mean, if we die tomorrow, I have a funeral tomorrow. What do we say? What about that person? Well, Paul answers that in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5. He says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So we are always of good courage. There's the word again. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. But we are of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what he's saying here is to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when the saint dies... The saint then is in the presence of God. His body or her body is in the ground, but he is with the Lord or she is with the Lord. Think about Jesus when he was on the cross and the thief next to him says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you'll be with me in paradise. Maybe a thousand years, maybe two thousand years. He says, today you'll be with me. So for the saint, for the saint to die is to be with the Lord, even though their body's in the grave. How do we know this? How do we know the victory is here? Well, look with me at 54 to 57. In the parish, maybe we will look for a building. We won't buy this place. There's something about walls that I love right now and ceilings and that sort of thing. Travis is really trying his hardest right now, turning knobs and moving dials, uh, dials and knobs. Okay, 54 to 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death... Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He has given us the victory in our Lord Jesus. This is really probably the important part that we understand to have the peace that is supposed to be ours. You know, Paul speaks about this comfort. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
He's quoting Isaiah 25, where God speaks about on the final day, all of death will be destroyed. It'll be destroyed. Death will cause no fear any longer. But then do you notice what Paul does? He begins to taunt death. He says, oh, death, where is your victory? He's ridiculing death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is it? It's gone. He's taunting death. And he's quoting Hosea 13, where God exalts over death. And he brings out these words. And he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's been rendered inoperative. It's like, it's like the scorpion has lost its tail. It's like the bee has lost its stinger. It can no longer threaten us. It's been rendered inoperative. The pain and the suffering and the disgrace that we feel, the fear at death is what's going to happen, where we're going to be, all of that's been destroyed. You say, how can we be so sure? Well, Paul tells us. He says, the sting of death is sin. In other words, we saw this in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, that, that sin enters the kingdom. Death comes with it. The sting of death that is sin. It's that rebellion. It's, it's that treason that we have with God. We rebel. We turn our own way. You know this. I mean, you don't need, you know, it says the power of sin is the law. We all have a law. I mean, you could have been raised with the law of Moses, but you have your own law. We all have whatever standard it is, right and wrong, and we cross it and violate it time and time again. And, and the sting of death comes by the separation with God. You saw it in Genesis 3. They're alienated. They're, they're fighting with one another. They're hiding from God. They're in fear of God. That's the sting. The law, it says the power of sin is a law. It just means that the law empowers sin by making us aware of it. Uh, the law is like a light. It shines upon our souls. You did this. You did this. You did this. You did this wrong. The law can't save you. The law can only show you that you need to be saved. So the, the sting of death is sin. We felt that sin, don't we? I mean, you felt that fear. You know you can't just walk up to God and just say, I'm morally acceptable. You should definitely just take me as your own. I've really given it the best go. I remember I was witnessing to a friend that had been coming to the house with Carol having dinner. And, and I said, uh, I said, do you think God would just take you as you are? He says, yeah, I've tried as hard as I could. Yeah, I think he would. And I looked at him and I said, do you really believe that? He said, in a, in a moment of like crystallizing honesty, he says, no, I really haven't. I haven't at all. He came. There's this moment of clarity for him that he came. The sting of death is sin. But notice what Paul goes on. He says, but thanks be to God. He's given us the victory in Christ. What is this victory? Well, Jesus has taken the sin in his body. He's died for our sins and rendered death inoperative. In his death, he's put death to death. The sting of death is sin, but he has taken our sin and died. And so death holds no fear for us. This is why John Donne, the the great English poet of the 17th, 16th, and 17th century says, Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful. For thou art not so. One short sleep past, 
we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Death, thou shalt die. Death has been put to death. Now, I know you're thinking, yeah, but Tom, we're still dying. Right? I mean, I mean, people are still dying. But remember, the sting has been taken away. That we don't fear death now. Death doesn't hold the same power over us because in Christ, for those in Christ, you're now forgiven. We, we sang, Beth led beautifully, my soul arise. Shake off your guilty fears. Arise, my soul. We don't fear death. And, and we see this in Christ because when Christ came, he died. I mean, Christ died, but he rose again. And so shall we rise again. And until that time, we're with God. So, so think about this for a minute. How do we respond to Easter? Boy, Easter is an incredible day. We see the necessity of Christ's coming to bring about the change that we need. We see the mystery of it now kind of unveiled, made clear for us. Not entirely, but more than we knew. And we see the victory of it. This is why when people die and we put them in the grave... The words of committal at every funeral I've done are the same. We commit this body to the grave in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. We don't fear death. So what are you going to walk away with? Let me just encourage you in three areas of your life. First would be, we want to give ourselves to God. What do I mean by that? Look in your text at verse 58. Paul takes all 57 verses, speaking to the resurrection, and then he gives us one word of instruction. He says, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, for you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, if you know death has been swallowed up, if you know that you're not going to stand before God facing any condemnation for your sins because they've been put on Christ, if you know that you will live forever, being made imperishable and immortal in glory, how ought we to live? Well, be steadfast. May we be Christians who persevere in faith, not giving up, not wavering. Let us be immovable. When, when the trials of life come, the sickness, the cancer, the struggles, the marital problems, the parental problems, the financial, when they come, let us be immovable. There is a day that is for us. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. That doesn't mean you enter ministry. That simply means that you serve well. You seek the spiritual good of other people. You, you're a good mother. You're honest in the marketplace. You're helpful to neighbors. You're sacrificing to yourselves. You're concerned about the spiritual well-being of the people around you. That's what it means to abound in the work of the Lord. You seek justice in the corners of life that you live. But, but not, just, not just live for the glory of God, but also rejoice with me that death has been destroyed. I mean, do you see the euphemism, Paul? He says, not all will sleep. He calls death sleep. Why does he do that? Because you wake up from sleep, and you're going to wake up from death. And so it's just sleep. We don't fear it anymore. In fact, what God has done is he's rendered death to be a servant to us, to lead us to himself. That's the glory of God. He takes the threat and he turns it, and now it serves us. So J.S. Bach, 
a, a song that he wrote that was published after his death in 1734. Let me read to you the song. It's called Come Sweet Death. It's a different way of looking at death. He says, come sweet death, come blessed rest, come lead me to peace, for I am weary of the world. Oh, come, I wait for thee. Come soon and lead me. Close my eyes. Come, blessed friend. It's better in heaven, for there is all pleasure greater. Therefore, I'm at all times prepared to say farewell. I close my eyes. Come, blessed rest. Come, sweet death. I will now see Jesus stand among the angels. It is henceforth completed. So, world, good night. My eyes are already closed. Come, blessed rest. If you're a Christian here, this is something we can say. If we're given that notice of our mortality, we can say, come, blessed rest. Now, if you're not a Christian here, I don't want you thinking that you can say this. The sting of death is before you. The separation of God, the punishment for our sins. It is only through faith in Christ that we can look at death so differently, so liberally, so casually, if I could say. But then the last thing I would say is, would you, would you long for this day with me? I mean, would you look forward to that day? It, it's a day it may be away. Now, if we die tomorrow, we're with God forever until that day. But that day will be a glorious day. That day where Christ comes back, the graves release the bodies of the saints to everlasting life and the bodies of the sinners to everlasting judgment. And it'll be a glorious day. It'll be the start of life for us. So most of us here, I probably dare say all of us here, love Disney movies. We, we love Disney movies. Aladdin or Cinderella or Lion. We love that. Why do we love Disney movies? Why do we? Because they always end well. They always end happy. The bad guy or the bad character is punished or dealt with. The innocent who suffered, they're made whole. And whatever land they're in, it finds peace. Everything's back in order, kind of like it would be in the garden initially. It ends well. This is what we have. We have a day that comes. This is why Paul says, in 2 Timothy, he says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all, also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? It'll be the beginning of life. So when Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor, who died right at the end of World War II, when he was being taken from his cell to being executed by the Germans, he said to his cellmate, he said, for me, this is the end, the beginning of life. Can we say that to death? We can. We can. Why? Because he's conquered death. He's overcome it. He's destroyed it. It's been swallowed up. And this is to cause us to live differently when we leave this place. It's, a, it's to cause us to live differently when you get tough news. It's to cause us to live differently when you get great news, recognizing that he's greater still. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked John Luther, and many of you know him. He's been a longtime member of this church. He has been faithfully walking with his wife. She passed on April 12 of last week. But I asked him, would he share 
how the reality of Christ and him crucified and yet raised. Would he share with us how that truth, because remember, Paul's given us all this doctrine in chapter 15 because he wants our life to be different. See, belief changes behavior. And so I asked him, would you just tell us a, a bit about how this truth how this truth has enabled you to serve Jeannie, to love Jeannie, to, to look in the face of death and losing your wife and to say, but God is good. And, and John's been kind to do that. I've seen John model. Great faithfulness, kind of a fearlessness, brother. So would you come and share the grace of God in your life? Thank you, Tom. As many of you know, Jeannie, my dear Jeannie, my wife, flew home to be with Jesus on Tuesday morning. We rejoiced in the midst of tears and sorrow as her ravaged body that was destroyed by ALS over the past three and a half years. She left that body and immediately saw Jesus. Like Tom said, he asked me to talk about the resurrection and some of the conversations we had as ways to strengthen us both and be hopeful and happy in the midst of what was devastating. When we received the diagnosis of ALS, it was essentially a death sentence. It was just a matter of time. And so uh, you can imagine it took a process to get to what Tom has been speaking of. It started slow, but it built in the, by the mercy of God as ALS began to attack Jeannie's body. It seemed surreal at first. I can remember walking around talking to Jeannie about this, that it was like looking down at a family that had ALS, and we were just observing, and in reality it was us. Jeannie would wake up in the morning, and it wasn't until she moved her body that she remembered sometimes that, hey, I have ALS. It was uh, overwhelming. Over time, we began to read and talk about specific Bible verses on heaven and the resurrection and death and lament Anything that we could begin thinking about, we found books and devotions that were related to these topics, all for the purpose of filling our mind with the truths of God in relationship to the resurrection and to her dying, filling it with truth. We sang a lot. We both sang. We, we would love to sing. Our kids can vouch that we love to sing certain songs and we play them over and over and over and beat them to death until they hate them we still sing them god was taking his word uh, and move moving us and conforming us into the word conforming us into christ the image of christ as he moved our hearts heavenward incrementally as als continued to have its way 
As her body deteriorated and suffering increased, the pace picked up, and the collective conversations about the gospel, hope, death defeated, Christ risen, heaven, all became more consistent. And honestly, most of our conversations did center on heaven and a biblical view of heaven, one that we reframe quite a bit from where we started. And being in the presence of Christ, who had defeated death and would wipe away every tear from their eyes and from our eyes, death would be no more, no more sickness, no more mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God continuing to move our minds and our hearts heavenward. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, particularly impacted Jeannie. Sally and Jeannie memorized them so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary afflictions, for Jeannie it was ALS is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal and transient. The things that are unseen are permanent and eternal. In his mercy, God over over time, over this course of battle with ALS, was incrementally preparing Jeannie for this eternal weight of glory which was being in the presence of our glorious risen Savior with all the saints of old. The weight of that, the glory of that, the beauty of that, the Lord was preparing her for. This past week, as ALS moved her closer to death, God had already turned her heart to the eternal. Her God-given desire to see the risen Christ who had defeated death removed the old, the, the sting of her own death. Seeing him face to face and being changed in a moment had become the target. Her earthly home was now destroyed by ALS. Her groaning and longing to put on a heavenly tent was finished. It was time to put on her heavenly dwelling. Shedding the perishable and putting on the imperishable. Death was defeated and no longer had a sting. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? There is none. Hallelujah. Jeannie is with Christ and he is risen. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.